Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, and here I'm joined by our guest, Derek. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Now, now, last time you were on, we talked a little bit about Satanic Panic and stuff, because you had a film. Um, Maybe you would, maybe for those who didn't get to catch it last time we spoke, could you tell them a bit about who you are as the geek preacher and everything else? (laughs) Well, uh, I am a gaming chaplain. Uh, That means I'm a chaplain for uh, gaming conventions, most specifically I'm a chaplain for the Gary Kahn Gaming Convention held every year in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, uh, that honors and remembers the life of Gary Gygax. It's put on by his children, uh, most prominently Luke Gygax, Gary's son. And I've worked with Gary Kahn. I've been a part of Gary Kahn for about 15 years now. Uh, I've been the chaplain for about half that time. It's a great convention. But I've also uh, do a worship service at Origins. It is a worship service. It's considered interdenominational. Everybody comes. Uh, It's a wonderful time. Uh, I also uh, train clergy using games like Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. So that's just a little bit of what I do. And, of course, I've been involved in three documentaries on faith and imagination most recently, our documentary, The Satanic Panic and the Religious Battle for the Imagination, won Best Gamer Film at Gen Con in 2022. Excellent. Excellent. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were here last time, well, we had talked about, about hooking up and talking about something, and it hasn't happened yet, so I guess we're finally here, and I don't know who... Huh? Who all heard that or what? I remember what got on tape and was aired and what was just between us. Right, right. Well, I had mentioned something that I've said on this show many times is the word anarchism has this big, scary connotation to it. (laughs) And we have talked about discussing that word a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Anarchy is, uh, you know, we think when we hear the word anarchy, we think of destruction, we think of rioting, uh, we think of just destroying everything around us, and uh, with good reason. Some of that comes out of the punk scene from the 70s, you know, uh, when uh, you think of the Sex Pistols and I am an anarchist, I am an antichrist. That type of language and uh, the anger that was going through the punk community, and I do not disagree with that anger. It was anger at the system, anger at feeling oppression, uh, anger at uh, what they saw as the ruling class. It was Their music was a way of fighting against that. And while I was never really into the punk scene, you know, I know a little bit about it. I have some people and some friends who were in the who were in the punk scene, and mainly it was a cry out against the uh, wealthy and those who had the means of production, and it was crying out against the oppression they put out on the working class. And sometimes uh, the response to that was violent. It mainly, a lot of times, the violence was within the community. You know, it was just a way of trying to get rid of that inner rage of the oppression that was being forced on them. And they responded with anger, and sometimes rightfully so. Uh, But So that's how we often view anarchy when we hear it as a term. 
Now, historically, there have been a lot of interesting, I'd say, historical people in the thought processes of, or that's the word I'm looking for, the milieu of anarchism and people that claim it as their political alignment. Uh, one that I'd like to bring up, one of the first ones that I, I kind of ran into myself, and I think that it'll be interesting to talk to you about, or a, a group of them, are the Christian anarchists. Uh, I, myself... I'm not a Christian, uh, but I, I respect others with differences. Uh, I'm a sociologist, so like studying those differences and those beliefs is important to me. But right. Dorothy Day and the Christian anarchists <laughs> had a yeah. lot to say. And Dorothy Day started a movement called the Catholic Worker Movement. Yes. And my exposure to the concept of anarchism and anarchies and all those things came from various different books and sort of things that I was reading when I got out of the Marine Corps. I stumbled on a Catholic worker house and I spent oh many years involved with them. And I'll be honest, they kind of radicalized me and changed my view and my worldview. Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> while I'm not Roman Catholic, the Catholic worker movement and Dorothy Day in particular have influenced me as well. Uh, while I was in seminary, I, I was not familiar with Dorothy Day, but while I was in seminary, I, one of my professors is a Roman Catholic, and he exposed me to Dorothy Day, and we began reading works on the Catholic worker movement. And as someone who grew up working class, both my parents were working class. I mean, my father uh, was a pipeliner. My father, uh, after the pipeline shut down in the 80s, my fa father became a house painter and a roofer. You know, he started his own business from the ground up, but my father was always a blue-collar worker. My mom, uh, you know, she had various jobs. Sometimes her jobs were blue-collar. I mean, I remember her cleaning people's houses, and then she worked her way up into some white-collar jobs as she got older. I used to jokingly tell people, my mom finally got a good paying job when she was in her 60s and all her kids were <laughs> out of the house. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but both my parents were blue collar workers. And that is what the Catholic worker movement was about. And so when I began reading Dorothy Day and seeing how she worked with Latinas and that group, and she worked with those people, I realized their struggle was very similar to working class white folks like I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And yet we were told as kids, their struggles, not our struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, we were separated, you know, we, we were separated along racial lines. And I'm like, this is BS. Their struggle is our struggle and our struggle is their struggle. And I realized, to just use uh, the common expression, it was the man trying to keep us apart. Uh, the whole racial divide over economics and over blue-collar work was just about the people with the wealth and the means of production and the people with the power were trying to keep poor white people angry at people of color. And, and so when I began to realize that, I was like, Dorothy Day do something here. And this was in the 60s, man. She knew stuff long before they knew what was going on, man. The rich folks were just trying to clean our clocks. Yeah. yeah and and there's a there's a lot to be said about about elements like and one of the things that I discovered being involved in the Catholic worker house that I was involved with is number one, I got 
I got a, I got a lot of exposure to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and walks of life and a lot of different perspectives. I was influenced by folks who uh, came up in the Black Panther movement in the 60s. And then some some folks, you know, some really strong womanist type uh, thinkers and things like that, who I was running into and meeting and being influenced by and listening was the number one thing that I think that I learned there. One of the things that was taught and expressed is to listen to others to listen to the the like a person who is oppressed knows their needs better than anyone else a neighborhood often we see people come into these neighborhoods one of the things was like there would be a lot of the some a couple of the church groups that were some some of the more fundamentalist groups were coming into the neighborhood from outside and bringing in what they believed the neighborhood needed and there were some problems that arose yes. out of that instead of coming into the neighborhood and listening to the people of the neighborhood mm-hmm. yeah and and that's a problem the church has had the church, as a Christian minister, I, I have seen that. I have been in those situations where the church said the community needs this help. But when you, you as the pastor get to interface with that community and you begin to listen, you realize what the people in the church thought the community needed is not what the community really needs. Uh, I'll give you an example uh, there are some churches that are doing wonderful work with literacy programs, and they come into communities, they say, this is what the community needs, but they don't connect to the local school district. And in not connecting the local school district, they actually interfere with the local school district's own literacy program. Mm-hmm. Now, I happened to pastor a church that said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to partner with the local school district. And so what they did, they had the teachers tell the church, hey, this is the stuff the kids need to work on. This is the area the kids are struggling in. And during the summer, the church would work on those programs that the local teachers who lived in the area, who worked with these kids every day of the week, said, no, you know, their reading skills are great. We need to work on math or their math skills are poor. We need to work on this. And uh, then we would have the teachers recommend the kids that needed the most help to the program. And so that that's the difference is do you come in as a colonizer saying this is what we're going to present to the community? Or do you come in to the community and say, hey, how can we help? What what do you need? Because the people that live in the community know what they need. And there's there's the one thing is that I, that's been brought up by quite a few anarchists is this idea that and like I know I I don't say it a lot, but it's been said amongst many circles this uh, this opposition to charity, uh, being that charity comes from high up that per, the people with the power decide what you need and they let you have what yep. they're willing to let you have versus the anarchist idea of mutual aid. I know my first time running into something like that was I'm going back to the Catholic worker house. Now I went into the Catholic worker house for a dinner. I had, I had, I had showed up and I, I, and I, I wanted to help. I wanted to do something. I lived in this neighborhood. I saw the poverty. I was struggling. I thought there's gotta be someone doing something to fight all this. There's gotta be something better. So I went to one place and, and then when I said, I want to be a part of this, I want to be involved. They, they kind of, Put, put me at a distance as I crossed right. through this table with a bowl and they hand me my scoop of chili and told me to go sit down. We have, and we are gracious enough to give to you folks, the not so uh, blessed. We are blessing you. Go sit down, take your place. When I walked into the Catholic worker house, it was different. I looked around the people who were 
had that were giving up and, and, and helping others. I couldn't tell who was who was the homeless people, who were the church people. The lines were blurred. And I walked up to someone at that point. I said, hey, I said to this feller that was sitting there, I said, he looks like he might be someone in charge. He looks like he might be one of the church guys. He did have a PhD, I would learn, but <laughs> but I, I walked up to him and I was I was perplexed because I couldn't tell who was in charge, who were the haves, who are the people that give me the chili, and who are the people that get the chili. I couldn't find that. And I asked him, I said, who's in charge? And he said to me, he goes, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. <laughs> the way they had it set up was a mutual aid system where everybody would come in that needed to eat, certain people would volunteer to serve. Certain people would volunteer to cook for that day or to clean up. And, and people took turns, each other taking care of the responsibilities that needed to be done there in our community. There were regular work days where everybody would throw in. And it was a community working together for a common good to accomplish those goals, not to get paid or because there was money at the end of it, because those things needed to be done in our communities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that's that's exactly what uh, Christian anarchism is about. I mean, uh, Christian anarchism is meant to challenge the assumption that the powerful, rather than the kingdom of God, is where you find salvation. Because mm -hmm. our world says salvation comes from the powerful, mm -hmm. and they dole out salvation where they want. But Christian anarchism rejects all of that, rejects nationalism. And says that all belong and that uh, everybody has the right to be a part of the community and everybody has a right to participate and everybody has a right as well as an obligation to help. Mm -hmm. And that's what really sets it apart. But it's still not the idea. Uh, it's not the Marxist idea that the state is in control mm -hmm. and that we have this communal state. You know, for me, Christian anarchism works best with what G.K. Chesterton called distributivism. I'm, I'm saying that word wrong. Distributi distribu distributivism. Distributivism. <laughs> and distributivism basically says everybody has a right to some form of property. Everyone should have their own home. Everyone, uh, like they would talk about it in England, uh, they everyone should have their own allotment. Everyone should have their own place. It should be distributed to everybody so that everybody has this basic plan of living, this basic form, so that everybody, if they needed to, they could go out and they could plant their own little small garden. Everybody has this. But it's not this individualized idea that it all comes from me, you know, mm -hmm. that I could pull myself up by my own bootstraps. It's that I work within the life of the community so that if I have something, if I'm growing tomatoes and you're growing strawberries, there's an equal exchange of that. But even beyond that, the idea is, you know what, let's come together for a community meal. Uh, let's come together, you know, so we live in this community. We're all here. Uh, I'm growing tomatoes. You're growing strawberries. You know what? Once or twice a week, let's have a community meal where we can all come together and share the abundance of what we have. And, you know, it's it, it goes against the grain of a society and a world that has historically always been about the powerful 
controlling as much as they can. It is the idea that is originated for us in the Christian, uh, who consider ourselves Christian anarchists. Uh, Jesus lived a life of self-sacrifice and service to others. And we are to live a life of self-sacrifice and service to others. But it's mutual. You know, it's not just, I'm going to give up everything and serve everybody. No, we are all meant to sacrifice so that we can serve others. And in that idea of self-sacrifice, we empty ourselves of all power and authority, just as Jesus did. Jesus didn't walk through the world in his power and authority. We empty ourselves of all power and authority so that we don't seek to have control or be the one in charge. Uh, I'm watching a show right now uh, called The Ark, and it's a sci-fi show. I always love to make sci-fi references. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> and uh, The Ark is about this spaceship that is meant to go colonize another world. And very at the beginning of the show, the ship is, of course, damaged. All the officers are killed. And so just, you know, uh, all the higher up officers. So you just have these three lieutenants, the only officers left in the chain of command. And what you see is all three of them constantly arguing about who should be in control, who should be on top, who should be leading. And it's chaos because they're not trying... While they're trying to get everybody to uh, work in their roles and in the areas in which they're trained, they everything is reactive instead of proactive because they're constantly fighting to see who should be on top and sh who should be telling everybody what to do. Instead of being a, a controller, they need to be a facilitator. That sounds that sounds like our current system there's just that more fighting about system. about being on top yeah. than there is working towards fixing some of the problems <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and sadly that's been the system throughout human history i mean that's why we had kings going to war against other kings it's why we had emperors trying to claim as much of an empire as possible it was all about seeing how much you could grasp and get I think that's what they call one of the seven deadly sins, you know, greed, greed, uh, it, greed and gluttony. How much can I get? It sounds like the driving forces for our society right now, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I had a conversation with a friend a number of years ago. And my friend wasn't wealthy, 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 but he had a lot of money. And so I looked at him one day and I said, I said, I'm not going to say his name, but I just said, hey, see, what's the deal with all these rich people just wanting more all the time? I know you know some. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I know some multimillionaires down at the country club. And he said, I'll tell you what the problem is. He said, you know, me, I've got enough money in investments that we're comfortable, and that's all I need. I just want to be comfortable, not have to worry about everything. I'm like, that's cool. Give me a little money. He's like, no, I'm not that comfortable. But he said, no, uh, he said, here's the thing. He said, it's like a drug addiction. He said, they've got so much money and it's all a numbers game. It's like gambling. They just want to see if they can get more than the other person. And it's all about grasping. You know, it, it is all about seeing how much you can get 
in the game. And to be honest, I mean, that's the way most of us are raised. That's what the military industrial complex teaches us. How much can you gain? How much can you grasp? I remember talking to someone a number of years ago, and I can't remember who it was, but they gave me a radical idea. They said, you know, we have the military where you can go and you can get a college degree through the military and all this. He said, why don't we have a national service corps if we want to try something different? Why don't we have something like the military, but it's meant to go out, fix infrastructure, do this. You go, you sign a contract just like the military. You work for four years. They feed you, they clothe you, they house you. And all you do is you work and you pick up the skills to fix our infrastructure. And then afterwards, we give you money and grants and scholarships, just like we do our military. Uh, and uh, you can go to college or go to a technical school or something like that. I would not be opposed to programs like that. That would be better than what options are out there. The only option there now is the, well, I became an anarchist out of that option. I got my school from joining the Marine Corps and, yeah, that was quite an experience. And I think everyone should have an opportunity to have health care in school like I have access to because of that. But a lot right. of people just don't have access to it. And the only option is to essentially put yourself in the front line to get shot at and kill and risk your life. I, don't, I think that there's a better way than just dying for rich yeah. people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what that's what annoys me about it is to get these benefits. You have to say. I am going to sign up to a system based on destruction. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I have a number of friends in the military and I love them dearly. I mean, Luke Gygax retired from the military uh, and I love Luke. Luke is a great guy and Luke wants to give back to his community. We uh, do a lot of fundraisers at Gary Khan for the Wounded Warrior Project. And so I, I understand that. And I'm not anti-military because i know that we need people to protect us from the violent ones in the world while most christian anarchists are non-violent and pacifist and i understand that and that resonates with my soul i also understand that there are cruel heartless people out in the world and we need protection in some way shape or form but to sign up for a complex a system that only survives if you continue to destroy and you continue to have conflict. If all conflict in the world ended tomorrow, no, no militaries would have a job. You know, right now with the war going on in Ukraine, while we, we see higher food bills because, you know, uh, because Ukraine is ideal farming land for things that the rest of the world need. I think it's been referred to as the breadbasket of the world. There are people making money off of it. Mm -hmm. There are mercenary companies that are working for the Russians that are making a ton of money. Read an article just the other day about how those mercenary companies are emptying out the prisons in Russia and just using these prisoners as meat shields on the front line, people hoping to get their freedom. This mercenary company is making money off the world. People who are smuggling arms to both sides are making money off the war. People who are shipping oil to the Russians are making money off the war or or whatever they're shipping, uh, you know, yeah. whatever <laughs> they need. And so it's all about 
keeping the violence has to keep going to keep that system alive. Yeah. If the violence stops, the system collapses. Yeah. Well, the violence is necessary at a point to maintain the current systems and the power structures that exist, because I don't think most people would take the kind of abuse from from these corporations and employers if they didn't realize that at the other end of it, if you stepped out of line, there was a uh, a somebody there from the state with a gun to put a bullet in you. Yeah. It's essentially it's how they maintain the uh the, the stratification of wealth and power in our society i've all i like to paint things like this i think that one of the biggest places to look at for change is something like the workplace we say that we're in a free society and a lot of times people equate that with democracy uh the institutions that dictate the nuances of our life how much I have to work, where I have to be, what I have to do, all those things. When I'm the one who's doing it and the expert at that individual given thing, I think we should perhaps introduce elements of democracy into the workplace. I think most people can agree at this point that some of these major corporations have a little too much power. They have power over us in our day-to-day lives as well as power over those who make the laws and that's not a conspiracy. That's lobbying. Yeah, no, they 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 have all the power in their hands, and so you've got people in charge who are making ninety nine point nine percent of the wealth from that company. Yet the workers have no say so in the company whatsoever, and they're doing pretty much ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the work. And I don't know about you, but where I where I was raised in the United States of America, they said a lot of things about um, freedom and democracy. And they told me how horrible things could be in another country where you're you're just subservient and have to put on some some mundane uniform and go in and turn turning little cranks and knobs and this mindless work. This is what we become. That's what we become. See, the thing is, <laughs> I, I would hear that. <laughs> but but I grew up in the 80s, the 70s and the 80s, and yeah. there's a Gen X or Robocop influenced my view of the world probably more than anything. <laughs> it's like, oh, great. Uh, here's a guy who works for a company, gets killed, and still has to work for the company. <laughs> and the corporations control the cops. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, wow. that's wow. That's not that's, a, that's not fiction. That's what we're looking at. Yeah, I was watching that and I was going. Uh, 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 this seems like the world in which I live. And then when I got grown and got my own family, I was like, yeah, Robocop was right. This is the world in which we live. It may not be as futuristic as we saw in Robocop, but I will tell you, that's the world in which we live where the corporations own the police. They own the government. We we do not live in a democracy. The corporations run America. I mean, you can see where the money comes from. They you, they are literally have to publish most of the time who is lobbying them and how much money they're taking from these companies. I bet you, if you take a look, you want to see how we're being influenced. We look at our media, like the six o'clock news. I wonder how many of the people advertising in the six o'clock news, because the product being sold is us, our eyes, our viewership to these corporations. The money's coming from the same place that the the lobbying comes from. Yeah, he's yeah. Looking at how this thing is structured in our society, maybe we should put the brakes on things and look at something else. And a lot of people have have proposed different things. Chomsky addresses a lot of that media stuff in some of his writings. A, a book that I often 
suggest to people is called Anarchism is for Everybody by a woman named Cindy Milstein, because anarchism itself is not just one philosophy, but there's a lot of different diverse ideas within the realm of anarchism. Uh, And and she gives a good overview of a lot of different ones there. Uh, And I just wanted to throw that out there. We're we're definitely going for a full half hour today because we're almost at (laughs) it. When you said 15 minutes, I was like, "Dude, dude, there's no way. There's no way we're going to do 15 minutes. I, since you're recommending a book on the Christian anarchy view, anarchism view, uh, let me get, I, I am going to destroy this gentleman's name. It's Alexandre Christoyanopoulos. He attempts to outline Christian anarchism in a book titled Christian Anarchism. And, uh, it's a name, man. It's a name. But it is, I I have not made my way through the book in its entirety yet because I discovered uh, my thought processes from a number of other things I've read aligned with Christian anarchism. And I was like, wow, okay, so all these other things I've been reading are Christian <laughs> anarchy, and I didn't know that. I didn't have yeah. a name for it until uh, about two or three years ago. I thought I was just weird. I thought it was just weird. Have you had a chance to check out Leo Tolstoy's Kingdom of Heaven, I believe it's called? I've read familiar with excerpt. <laughs> I'm familiar with it. I am familiar with it. Uh, I like to tell people my theological and educational training is like has been like uh, Swiss cheese <laughs> uh, in the sense that I have holes in certain places. Well, that but, works. That uh, works. <laughs> yeah, my educational journey was weird, man. I, I would... I would drop in and out of college a lot. I would take courses I liked. I'd like, ooh, I want this course. I want this course. And so I'd go to good schools. I'd pick up a couple of courses. Life would hit me. Something would happen. Somebody I was working with would pass away, or we'd have to move for another job. And so I'd have to drop out of school. So it wasn't until I was 37 that I went back and got my bachelor's degree. And they looked at my... uh, they looked at my transcript and they're like, oh, my God, you're just like 25 <laughs> hours shy of having a, a bachelor's degree. So when I got my bachelor's degree, I already had I had enough credits to have a major in theology and a major in counseling. But because of the coursework I took and the school that would take it, I ended up getting my degree in organizational management. Ah, that works. (laughs) So so I have an organizational management degree on the bachelor's level with enough credits for a theology degree and a counseling degree. (laughs) And then I went to seminary, which was an 80-something hour master's program. Mm -hmm. It's It's like the Juris Doctorate of Theology. And so when I did that, by that time, I knew how the school system worked. So I was able to get enough master's level hours in uh, church history and theology. And mm-hmm. then I did a year of doctoral work, a year and a half of doctoral work in semiotics and future studies. Oh, wait, that's it. That's different. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, and so I did. Uh, so from the time I was 37 to about the time I was 43, 44, I did all of that. And so that that really hit me hard. You know, that that's a weird point in your life to really just be getting all of this stuff together. And it's really transformed me. 
over the last few years. It really has. So that's why I tell people it's like, oh yeah, Tolstoy, Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, I took this course. We got a few excerpts here. And oh yeah, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> I, I picked up Noam Chomsky a little bit there, so I'm not as familiar there. Mm-hmm. But then there's these other areas where I was reading people like on nonviolence and nonviolent mm-hmm. Christianity and the Anabaptist movement. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And I really integrated a lot of thought from that. And then it's like, where does this thought fit within Christian history? And then I discovered there's a name for that. It's called Christian anarchism. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We're, we're definitely on time. Uh, did you have anything else uh, I, I, regarding the topic of anarchism? Perhaps a lot of people have never heard about this, and this is the first time hearing us someone ramble on about all these weird ideas. Is there anything you think that people should know uh, before we close? <laughs> before we closed, at its heart, Christian anarchism, as I view it, is about supporting, helping, walking with, and learning from the marginalized and disadvantaged. Christian anarchism is meant to stand in solidarity with those who have been classically marginalized by the systems of power and acknowledging that we as Christians have often been complicit with that system of power and sold our souls to the system. So we still, even as Christian anarchists, have to take responsibility for what Christians have done by pouring themselves out to the powerful and the rich. Well, I appreciate that. Do you have any, would you like to tell folks where they can find you online and, and check out, check you out on the internet and maybe even see a documentary or two you've been involved in? <laughs> yeah, you can find our doc, two of our documentaries on Tubi TV. You can find the science fiction makers and the satanic panic and the battle for the religious ma- uh, imagination on Tubi TV. It's free. You can watch it for free, stream it for free. You can find me on YouTube, on Facebook, and on TikTok. Just look for Geek Preacher or The Geek Preacher. You can find me there. And if you want to support the work I do, uh, the work I do is purely volunteer work. And uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash The Geek Preacher, and you can support me there as well. Well, thank you for coming back on. It's been great getting a chance to catch up and, and talk about this. Hey, man, I love I love you, man. You're all over the place, and I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at LogarHaleCrom, on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling. <laughs>